0: Good morning, everybody. Okay, everybody's asleep. Can we try that again? Good morning, everybody. Okay, you don't have to watch people coming in. It's embarrassing enough for them without being watched. Let them come in. We'll concentrate on what we're doing. It's really good to be together. I of The fact that this is the end of the Scottish October break and the start of the English half-term, I think, is showing. We are a few people down, but it's lovely to have people who we've known for a while, and people who are visiting for the first time here today. And we are, of course, here to worship God. So we're going to start by hearing some words from Psalm 119, and we're going to hear those words in the message paraphrase. How can a young person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs you've posted. I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart so that I won't sin myself bankrupt. Be blessed, God. Train me in your ways of wise living. I'll transfer to my lips all the counsel that comes from your mouth. I delight far more in what you tell me about living than in gathering a pile of riches. I ponder every morsel of wisdom from you. I attentively watch how you've done it. I relish everything you've told me of life. I won't forget a word of it. Be generous with me, and I'll live a full life. Not for a minute will I take my eyes off your road. And now let's come to God with our prayers of approach. Let us pray together. Loving word of God, Jesus Christ, saviour of us all, it is you who by your spirit call us and draw us here and now to worship you. It is you who stirred us from slumber, cajoled us to wash, dress and get out of the house to meet with like-minded people, to sing our praises, offer our prayers and seek your voice amidst the clamour of daily living. So we pause, taking a moment of silence simply to relax in your presence to rest in your arms, to become aware of your loving welcome. Living Word of God, Christ our Lord, Redeemer of us all, it is you who by your Spirit convince and convict us of our need for healing and forgiveness. It is your love, that pierces us more deeply than any human words or actions, showing us what is ugly or damaged in our lives. And it is your tender touch that prompts us to want to change. So we pause, taking a moment of silence to admit in our innermost being our need for forgiveness from sin and healing from hurt. Hopeful word of God. Jesus, our brother, accompanier of us all. It is you who by your spirit enable us to walk together in all our diversity as we seek to live authentically as disciples. It is the hope that allows us to take risks, to reach across boundaries and barriers to welcome others, to share the adventure of faith as together we grow in grace and in faith and in love. And so we pause, taking a moment of silence to rededicate ourselves to be open-hearted, open-minded, and open-handed in our discipleship of him whose name we bear, even Christ our Lord. Accept our prayers. Accept our hour of worship. And accept our very selves for all are offered, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: This morning's reading is Hebrews chapter 11, starting at page 284 in the Pew Bibles. To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. It was by their faith that people of ancient times won God's approval. It is by faith that we understand that the universe was created by God's word, so that what can be seen was made out of what cannot be seen. It was faith that made Abel offer to God a better sacrifice than Cain's. Through his faith, he won God's approval as a righteous man, because God himself approved of his gifts. By means of his faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. It was faith that kept Enoch from dying. Instead, he was taken up to God, and nobody could find him because God had taken him up. The scripture says that before Enoch was taken up, he had pleased God. No one can please God without faith, for whoever comes to God must have faith that God exists and rewards those who seek him. It was faith that made Noah hear God's warnings about things in the future that he could not see. He obeyed God and built a boat in which he and his family were saved. As a result, the world was condemned and Noah received from God the righteousness that comes by faith. It was faith that made Abraham obey when God called him to go out to a country which God had promised to give him. He left his own country without knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a foreigner in the country that God had promised him. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who received the the same promise from God. For Abraham was waiting for the city which God has designed and built, the city with permanent foundations. It was faith that made Abraham able to become a father, even though he was too old and Sarah herself could not have children. He trusted God to keep his promise. Though Abraham was practically dead, from this one man came as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, as many as the numberless grains of sand on the seashore. It was in faith that all these persons died. They did not receive the things God had promised, but from a long way off they saw them and welcomed them, and admitted openly that they were foreigners and refugees on earth. Those who say such things make it clear that they are looking for a country of their own. They did not keep thinking about the country they had left. If they had, they would have had the chance to return. Instead, it was a better country they longed for, the heavenly country. And so God is not ashamed for them to call him their God, because he has prepared a city for them. It was faith that made Abraham offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice when God put Abraham to the test. Abraham was the one to whom God had made the promise, yet he was ready to offer his only son as a sacrifice. God had said to him, It is through Isaac that you will have the descendants I promised. Abraham reckoned that God was able to raise Isaac from death, and so to speak, Abraham did receive Isaac back from death. It was faith that made Isaac promise blessings for the future to Jacob and Esau. It was faith that made Jacob bless each of the sons of Joseph just before he died. He leaned on the top of his walking stick and worshipped God. It was faith that made Joseph, when he was about to die, speak of the departure of the Israelites from Egypt and leave instructions about what should be done with his body. It was faith that made the parents of Moses hide him for three months after he was born. They saw that he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's order. It was faith that made Moses, when he had grown up, refuse to be called the son of the king's daughter. He preferred to suffer with God's people rather than to enjoy sin for a little while. He reckoned that to suffer scorn for the Messiah was worth far more than all the treasures of Egypt, for he kept his eyes on the future reward. It was faith that made Moses leave leave Egypt without being afraid of the king's anger. As though he saw the invisible God, he refused to turn back. It was faith that made him establish the Passover and order the blood to be sprinkled on the doors so that the angel of death would not kill the firstborn sons of the Israelites. It was faith that made the Israelites able to cross the Red Sea as if on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do it, the waters swallowed them up. It was faith that made the walls of Jericho fall down after the Israelites had marched round them for seven days. It was faith that kept the prostitute Rahab from being killed with those who disobeyed God for she gave the Israelite spies a friendly welcome. Should I go on? There isn't enough time for me to speak of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith they fought whole countries and won. They did what was right and received what God had promised. They shut the mouths of lions, put out fierce fires, escaped being killed by the sword. They were weak, but became strong. They were mighty in battle and defeated the armies of foreigners. Through faith, women received their dead relatives raised back to life. Others, refusing to accept freedom, died under torture in order to be raised to a better life. Some were mocked and whipped, and others were put in chains and taken to prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went round clothed in the skins of sheep or goats, poor, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not good enough for them. They wandered like refugees in the deserts and hills, living in caves and holes in the ground. What a record all of these have won by their faith. Yet they did not receive what God had promised, because God had decided on an even better plan for us. His purpose was that only in company with us would they be made perfect. Amen.
0: This is when I realise I forgot one of my preparation bits this morning. Never mind. When you came in, you should have found in your hymn book a piece of paper around about this big, talking about heroes of faith, saints or sinners. And I have an exercise for you to do that probably needs Bibles. And I suddenly thought, actually, I didn't get the Bibles out. So um, the really, really holy people who bring their own Bibles to church with them will be okay. The really, really authentic people who don't bring their Bibles to church with them might want to sneak over to the cupboard and get one. And I promise not to look. It's my fault. I didn't get them out. What I'm going to suggest is that perhaps with the person next to you or somebody behind you, you in two or three, Um, you look at some of these people and ask the questions that I've asked about some of these heroes of faith who are mentioned in Hebrews 11. And what I'm going to suggest is if the people sitting in this bit of the church start with Noah and move on to Abram if you get time. The people kind of in the middle if you start at Jacob and move on if you get time. And then the people over here if you start with David And move back up to the top if you get time. You're only going to get around about five minutes. So this is not a deep Bible study. It's not a deep lesson in anything. I just want you to quickly look up one or two of those passages and see what they say about that person. What about this person who you understand as a person of faith is flawed or sinful? Why does the scripture record include that? Why don't we have... A scripture that is full of perfect people who only get it right. How does that story make you feel about yourself? And what might that story hint about the nature of God? Now, you can't do that properly in five minutes. You can't do that properly in a PhD. But just very quickly, to start you thinking, have a look at that person, or one or two of those people. What flaws or faults do you see in them, in that story? You've got five minutes, which I will time from now. Okay, if we can um, kind of come back together, that would be really good. Just when you were starting to get into it, I know. Thank you all very much for indulging me in doing that. I'm not going to shut some people up now. I've got them going. It's great. really, we've got into this person and, and... now you don't have to to tell me, but my suspicion is that you found that those people actually weren't quite such lovely heroes as we sometimes think. It's about twenty years ago I was at a lunchtime Bible study at work I'm sorry, holy in those days, and the leader set this passage, Hebrews eleven, against the Ten Commandments in Exodus. And it's one of the few things that has really stuck with me. I forget most sermons as fast as I walk out the door, even if I deliver them. And That's fine if you do as well. But this one has stuck with me for more than 20 years. That nearly everybody in that list, in Hebrews 11, broke at least one of the commandments. And usually broke them after they had been called and commissioned by God. Abram, he lied. He pretended his wife was his sister. He put her at risk, and certainly at risk of serious sexual assault, if not actual sexual assault, by foreigners. Why? To save his own neck. Moses was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian. He tried to cover up his crime, and when some of the Jews found out, he ran away. David, well, you know, the man after the Lord's heart, was an adulterer, a murderer, and a liar, just to get to three. He was not a great person in a lot of ways and so it goes on if you work through Hebrews 11 you will find that most if not all of the people listed there are flawed and sometimes people have said to me Katrina that was before God called them and I'm afraid the answer is go and read what the Bible says David gets called a man after the Lord's heart before some of the biggest foul ups in his life he is just a flawed person What we sometimes don't grasp is the Bible is not a hagiography. A hagiography is a book of saints. These like stained glass perfect people who we hear about their good bits and miss out the bad bits. Actually, the Bible is a very lively story of God's people in all their frailty and sinfulness trying to live out their faith in a world that was as complicated then as ours is now now. And probably a lot more hostile. And I just wonder, could we actually see it as a holy human story? In which the good, the bad, and the downright ugly are all recorded. I think it's really important when we come to read the stories of people of faith in the Bible. We actually remember they weren't so different from us they could have amazing insights and profound faith and they could be cruel and vindictive just found peter going through my mind peter who one minute recognized jesus as lord and the next minute said oh no 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 lord that's never going to happen one minute they're right there with god and the next minute their clay feet are showing through just like anybody else's They're stories of people who had encounters with God, often beyond what we can imagine. And they still managed to get it wrong. The Gospels, uh, I think it's Mark's Gospel particularly, Jesus gets a bit fed up with his disciples not getting it. Do you still not understand, he says. And no, they don't. Why? Because they're people. When we come to read these stories... I think it's helpful to understand that most of the time, most of these people probably felt a lot like we do. We don't get the stories of the days that they felt really unhappy, usually, or the days that just went okay and nothing much happened. We get a selection. And we need to remember that this is not a blow-by-blow biography of everything that happened in these people's lives, because... All the books in the world couldn't contain that. But these are stories selected under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit to give us a better understanding of what it means to be people of faith. Probably a better understanding of human nature. And certainly to give us a glimpse into the nature of the God in whom these people trusted. The God in whom we also believe and trust. It's interesting, if you stop to think about it, how few names are in the Bible. Most people, actually we never hear their names. The woman at the well, the boy with the loaves and fishes, the leper, the slave, the servant, whoever it is. They don't have a name. And beyond that, there are people who don't even get mentioned. They're just getting on with their lives. All those Israelites, all those people who lived in the Samaritan village where the woman at the well went back to, just people who are getting on with their lives. And what we get are these exceptional moments the moments that something is really important that needs to be passed on to us. So if these stories are about human people who foul up, about people who are frail and failing, how can they be holy? What makes them different from the awful stuff you read in the tabloids? How is this collection of stories able to talk to us about the God in whom we believe and trust? The first thing that really strikes me, and it goes right from the beginning to the end, is that God refuses to give up on the enterprise of humanity. We get the kind of Noah story, which is the closest, I think, God comes to giving up. Well, you would get the eight in the ark with the animals and the rest swept away. But we have this story of a God who goes on and on and on, giving people second chances and third chances and fourth chances and goodness knows what. I don't know that we would be quite so good at giving people more and more chances, like Moses had or David had, or whoever it is. Now, yes, there are the people who are mentioned as God having rejected them. Um, I'm kind of being a little bit selective. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But on the whole, we see in God, a God who recognizes our potential. A God who says, well, yeah, okay, you're all a bit curate's eggy, good in parts and rubbish in parts. But there is potential, and I can take that potential and transform it. Those people in Hebrews 11 are good and bad and ugly. And yet, they are seen as people of faith, people who walked with God. Now, some of the things they did are amazing, aren't they? Abram, who was an old man, left behind all that was familiar to go on an adventure into the unknown. Moses gave up the privilege of Pharaoh's court to go and get his people free. And there were all the people whose names we don't know. If we were to write our list of people of faith, we could be like that writers of Hebrews. It was a long reading, wasn't it? You did well not to fall asleep, and Norm did especially well to get all the way through it. But we could go on and on and on listing people of faith from the Bible. But there's something really special right at the end of it that we're in danger of missing if we fall asleep <laughs> before we get there. Because the story doesn't close at the end of this book. That list in Hebrews doesn't say, that's it, those are the people of faith. Done. It actually says that we are part of that story too. It is only with us that these people can one day reach perfection. The story of the people of faith The people who God gives more chances to and more chances to and more chances to. The story of the God who loves us and in Christ died for us carries on beyond this book. God's story carries on. Now, if we're honest, no matter how long we've been a Christian and how much we read our Bible and how much we pray we're going to find some ugly bits because all of us, every single one of us sometimes gets it wrong. And all of us sometimes gets it very, very right even if we're not very good at praying, reading our Bible and such like and so forth. And most of the time, most of us just get on with it. But this God who inspired faith in all these people long ago is a God who loves us and equips us And trusts us to carry on the story. This is a story full of hope. A story of a God who never gives up on us because of our failings. And a God who in Christ brings us the hope of a future. Where all will be redeemed. It's a holy story. It's a story in which every single one of us is important, young or old, secure or questioning, holy or whatever the opposite is. Every one of us matters in that story. And I think that's part of what's so amazing about this book, the Bible, is as we read it, in some ways it acts like a mirror. We can see glimpses of ourselves in this story we can see examples of people whose lives were changed by their faith in God and or their encounter of Christ. And it seems to me that that's why it's important that as we read and we reflect, that we are challenged to see how scripture confronts us in our goodness and our badness, in our ugliness and our beauty. And for us to receive from God a renewed assurance of healing and hope and forgiveness. It's a book full of promises of a God who is love. And as we receive that love, so we discover our own potential. And we can be God's agents of change in this time and in this place.
2: Let us pray. Creator God, author of diversity, we marvel at the differences in the world in which we live, the mountains and valleys, forests and desert, land and seas and all the myriad creatures in this world. We rejoice at the diversity of people in the world, tall and short, dark and fair, happy and sad, and the wondrous combination that makes us all who we are, all so similar and yet so unique and loved by you. In this last week we have shared with the whole world the joy as we have watched the wonderful rescue of the miners in Chile and we give thanks for all those involved in their rescue and we pray for these men and their families in the days ahead as they face their lives returning to normal and yet lives which will never be the same again. But, Lord, you know that our world is a world that can know heights of jubilation, but also depths of sorrow, and we think, too, of the attempted rescue of Linda Norgrove. And we, re- as we rejoice with the rescue of the miners, so we grieve with the parents and friends of Linda as they come to terms with the loss of their loved one. Their anguish and grief must touch your heart as it touches ours. And we ask that you will give her folks the strength and peace they need to bring them through these dark days. We live in a marvellous world and yet a world that is so broken by war and strife, by hatred and injustice. We read, blessed are the peacemakers, and we pray that you will guide all leaders to seek for ways to bring peace into this world. And we ask you to turn the hearts and minds of those who seek revenge and domination to seek for peace and reconciliation instead. When you walked on this earth, you knew of the hopes and fears, the joys and sorrows, the pride and shame that we can all feel at times. And we pray especially for those who at this time are fearful for themselves or their loved ones for those who are facing an uncertain future, either through illness or redundancy or change of circumstances. We pray for those who care, for those who are finding the going tough, for doctors and nurses, paramedics and social workers, and for the multitude of voluntary workers who give of their time and energy so freely. We pray too for those who, for whatever reason, feel ostracized by society, by their family, and even by the church. May they know that they are loved and accepted by you and bring us all to a greater loving acceptance of each other because we are created in your image. And we give thanks for Jim Gordon and for all the love and guidance he has given us here in Hillhead. And we pray that you will quickly restore him to full health and strength. And at this time, when he now has to accept the support that he needs, that he will rest in your sure love. So, Heavenly Father, hear these our prayers and those that we as individual offer for ourselves and for our loved ones. Amen.